to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, resilience, crisis management, emergency management, and anything that can be relatable to those subjects. Speaking of which, if there is a specific topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or be a guest on the show, please feel free to go to the homepage for the show on the Voice America site. There is a button underneath the graphic that says send host an email or something to those, uh, something along that lines. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything and we'll see about uh, addressing your subject or getting you on the show. If you'd also like to talk about or promote a product or service that you or your company is offering, we do have some advertising available and I can send you some information as well and you can reach me the same way as uh, the same button on the homepage. A couple of other items I'd like to remind everyone, fingers crossed all this happens, by the way. Uh, September 28th, we're hoping to do another live broadcast from Phoenix, Arizona at the DRJ Fall Conference. And October 7th and 8th, I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today Conference in Toronto, just down the road from where I am. And fingers crossed for this one, because I was born there, uh, BCI World in Birmingham, UK, uh, November 5th and 6th, I will be speaking at the conference as well. And if you're attending any of those, uh, fingers crossed they all go forward, you'll see me walking around with a handheld recorder. So feel free, come and uh, uh, approach me and talk to me and maybe we'll get you on the show for a couple of minutes. And I'd like to thank everyone at Stone Road and their uh, product at boastassessment.com for sponsoring today's show. Uh, they have an application that helps you self-assess your disaster programs and business continuity programs so you can better focus your resources without paying high prices for the big consulting firms. No offense to all of them, by the way. Now, today's topic, uh, as many of you know, I've said it uh, many, many, many times, I am an avid reader. I love to read for entertainment, knowledge, and I came across a book uh, some time ago, just by its title. When I tell you, you'll obviously know why. Um, I saw it and went, oh, I got to read that, of course. And when I got through it, I thought, this is really interesting. I wonder if I could had a shot at getting the author here. Because the author is a New York Times bestselling author of Hardwiring Happiness and Buddha's Brain. And I have Buddha's Brain, actually, on my bookshelf as well. So I'd like to welcome to the show the author of Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. I'd like to welcome Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick, welcome to the show. Alex, thank you. And your topics are near and dear to me at a lot of different levels. I'm a psychologist, as you know, so I tend to focus on um, preparing for the unexpected at the individual level. Uh, but there's a lot that people can do at that level, as you well know. So I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. 
Well, great. I was, I'm was i really happy that uh, you're able to join us today. I, like I said, we, you know, a New York Times bestselling author, I just thought, you know what, I'll just take a shot. You never know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm really happy to, happy to have you here. That's <laughs> Can right. you take a, um, uh, I know you mentioned your psychologist. Could you take a, a minute or two and just kind of introduce yourself and, you know, uh, what sure. you do and uh, how you got to where you are? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist and a senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, which kind of um, indicates my interest. I'm particularly interested in how people uh, can establish themselves in resilient well-being through growing resources inside, psychological strengths, resources such as grit, gratitude, and compassion, uh, and beginning about... Fifteen years ago, I began writing a series of books, um, and I'm particularly interested, I would say, in the intersection of three lineages, uh, psychology, brain science, and the contemplative wisdom that you find around the world, people who sometimes are called the Olympic athletes of mental training. So when you put uh, all those three together, right, brain science, psychology, and you know, meditative practice, it gives you a ton of insight into your own mind and lots of ways to help yourself and other people. Oh, well, thank you very much. Oh, and I understand you just released a brand new book, right? Yeah, it's got a uh, kind of a funny title. I took a swing for it. It's called Neurodharma. It's not religious. It basically, the subtitle explains it, New Science, Ancient Wisdom, and Seven Practices of the Highest Happiness. And lately, like we're recording this in the middle of May 2020, as you know, obviously, and uh, we're all dealing with this pandemic right now. So it's interesting that even when, or perhaps especially when, things are at their worst, uh, at their lowest, I think we can learn a lot from people who've pursued life at its highest, the people who've made it their life's work to develop the most fundamental inner peace, lovingness, wisdom, inner strength, and contentment and well-being. So that's what that book's about. How can we uh, observe people around the world, the saints and sages, teachers, uh, people known, people not so well-known, how can we reverse engineer their state of being and explore what is actually happening inside their brain in the circuits and the different neurochemical processes that are the basis for this fundamentally unshakable core of resilient well-being that clearly they demonstrate? How can we develop more of that ourselves? So it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool book. Well, congratulations on the new book. And that's kind Thank of you. why I kind of why I wanted to get you on the show because and I think the timing has worked out fine. I know um, yeah. I originally reached out quite some time ago, um, and we set the date uh, for today to record. However, as you you put it, we're in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic. So yeah. I find this self-well-being and resilient rather interesting now, because a lot of what I used to talk about on the show, or, well, I still do, but... yeah tended to come from an organizational perspective, you know, and how you keep that going. But really now it's an individual level of that people need to uh, look at resiliency. It's not just uh, organizational now. So I think it's uh, rather interesting that I've got you right in the middle of this. Oh, uh, it's kind of cool. And isn't it interesting that, uh, 
You know, I'm I'm in my 60s, so I've kind of came of age in the 1960s a while ago as a kid, and then I went to college in the early 70s. And there's a way in which I think that happiness or positive emotions or just well-being, ordinary well-being, gets a gets a gets a bad rap. You know, it gets knocked as something sort of superficial or, well, that's that's for kids or people when they retire or maybe even that one week a year when you go fishing, right? You're on vacation. Right. But in fact, tons, yeah, as tons of research has shown, uh, you know, ordinary, just down-to-earth, genuine positive emotions like gratitude or feeling friendly with another person or they like you or a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment when you finish something, these Positive emotions that are part of a larger sense of well-being actually make us stronger. They strengthen the immune system. They protect the heart against uh, illness and and trauma. Uh, They bring us closer to other people. They make us more ambitious because we're more willing to go for it. Uh, It's funny. I think sometimes that if a big pharmaceutical company could patent happiness, let's say the blue pill, you know, (laughs) <laughs> the one that makes you happy, I guess. I forget which one it was, the Matrix, the blue pill or the red pill. Anyway, you know, if they could patent it just in terms of pure medical benefits, the ways in which well-being is good for physical health and longevity, boy, we'd be seeing ads for the blue pill, right, every night on television. Right. Well, you bring up an interesting point, you know, that uh, your well-being, so to speak, this this mindset, you know, it's either for kids or for the elderly. Yeah. However, right now with COVID-19, it's everybody. So I'm wondering how uh, or if COVID-19 has really changed that, you know, feeling of well-being. And if you're seeing that. Yeah. Well, I think you're really getting at the crux of resilience because if we're dealing with things while feeling terrible inside, that's a limitation on our actual resilience. And what I think we can find in people who are dealing with the worst of it all, um, relief workers, frontline workers, they're tired, they're exhausted, but they can still retain a sense deep down inside, deep down inside, of meaning, of purpose, of service, connection with others, uh, internalizing um, the gratitude of their patients, say, the gratitude of their families, pushing a broom at 3 in the morning down a hospital corridor. I think about the people that are doing that, who are the, tip, who are, you know, the doctors are the tip of the iceberg, really, and the healthcare system. It's so many mm-hmm. other people that really keep it all going, right? Um, yeah. They are, yeah, they, they talk about and they can feel a sense of, of meaning and purpose and well-being there. I think about it in ordinary ways, you know, when our kids were little, we'd walk them up and down the hall when they were, you know, crying at 3 in the morning. And it wasn't a happy time, but it was deeply fulfilling in a lot of ways. So it is possible. It is possible. And it's more than possible. It's useful to keep finding what it is that feeds you and protects you deep down inside yourself so that you can you can sustain some underlying sense <laughs> of happiness, contentment, purpose, inner peace, and even love, no matter how bad things are. Sure, there'll and be I, moments where you're totally shocked, yeah. totally enraged, totally in pain. Yeah. You had a shocking loss, your back is killing you. There are these moments where that just crowds out everything else, right? But most of the time, even when things really suck, you know, when you're exhausted <laughs> and fried and stressed, deep down in your core, you can still feel a fundamental happiness. 
Do you think that's you know, with with COVID nineteen right now that that is going to change for for many people because you know they are on one hand they're spending you know time at work uh, working from home I should say you know spending yeah. more time with their families and because they can't right. see some of their families or friends and coworkers you know that mm-hmm. there's a, a a way you know I can't just turn to my friend and start chatting you know I have right. to make this extra effort. Do you think that COVID-19 is going to make that happen for people? Well, I think you're getting at a really important point. Um, You you probably know this model in which basically a person's course or a community or a corporation's or even a country's course over time is the result of three factors, just three factors, just three, challenges, vulnerabilities, and resources, right? Challenges like COVID-19, all right, landing on different vulnerabilities. Some people, let's say, are vulnerable to feeling rejected or abandoned when they have to live more by themselves or more isolated, say. Or a country could have hollowed out its public health system so that when finally uh, a plague comes, as plagues eventually always do, right, uh, mm-hmm. that, that the country is not very well prepared for it. So uh, those are vulnerabilities. And then resources are what we mount to deal with the challenge. So an individual at home, let's say, uh, living in close quarters, maybe worried about money, very understandably, maybe worried about their own physical health, maybe worried about others, their aging aunt, um, or perhaps uh, you know, someone in their own family very, very immediately. How's their health going to be with all this, right? So those are challenges. Then the question becomes, all right, as the challenges go up, so must the resources. So maybe I could turn it back a little bit here and ask you, what do you find are some of the key resources, psychological strengths, psychological resources that help people uh, when they're facing a real challenge to resilience, when the unexpected comes, let's say. They're stuck at home. Maybe they're anxious right, or stressed. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the key resources that help people when they're anxious or stressed and that maybe they can focus on more these days? Well, for me, I know, you know, friends, family, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, those are external. Internally, I also look at, yep. you know, doing a puzzle, playing my guitar mm-hmm. or my synthesizer, you know, finding different yeah. ways to calm myself, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, bounce ideas off of other people and things like that. Yeah. So that's a great example. So as a psychologist, uh, I would add, uh, or just build on what you said, that um, there's some classic inner strengths that help people retain their well-being, even when they're being threatened, as we are right now, or dealing with real issues. So, for example, one is literally just to relax while you exhale. The heart rate naturally slows as we exhale. The so-called parasympathetic branch of the nervous system gets involved when we exhale, and it's uh, the complement to the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, the fight-or-flight stress response branch. So the parasympathetic branch has a funny kind of jokey name for it, too, as the rest and digest system. It's that part of the nervous system that handles resting and digesting. So just exhaling, just exhaling calms us down. And then over time, we can develop greater trait calm, trait relaxation inside us that we achieve, we acquire, we develop it through repeatedly having states of calm 
such as states of relaxation, that we repeatedly internalize, gradually altering neural structure and function so that we become progressively calm, uh, let's say, with a sense of calm strength deep down inside as our fundamental way of being, our fundamental way of you know, experiencing life and, and dealing with it. So that's one. Another, to pull up the memory, the feeling in your body of being strong, of enduring, getting through things. You know, it might be a time for me, I've done a lot of rock climbing where you, you know, <laughs> pulled over and overhang, or maybe it was a time that you just, and also in my case, you just stood by the bedside of a, of a beloved relative for long periods of time in the hospital, uh, just being there, uh, enduring the fact your legs hurt, your feet hurt, your back hurts, you're tired, and you're just going to keep standing there because that's what you do. So we can get in touch with the with the essentially the emotional memory, the somatic memory of the times that we've been strong and we got through tough times ourselves. And so then by getting in touch with that feeling inside, kind of calling it up, almost like getting a song playing in the inner iPod of that way of feeling, well, then we're more resourced. We're more able to, to deal with the challenge right now that's, let's say, making us anxious. So those are two right off the top. And I have to say one more real fast. Just like you said, the sense of friends and family, the feeling that others are in this too, common humanity, right? We're in this together. They're grappling with it too. We can take heart from their efforts, frontline workers and people just doing all kinds of things to keep things going right now. Um, We can take heart in their example. We can also uh, find heart in the the feeling of the people in our lives who, who see us, who care about us, who remember us. Uh, who like us, who even love us. So those, and as we do that, as we bring in the felt sense of others who care about us, that too, you know, research shows, reduces anxiety and helps us cope better. I, um, I've noticed. I've noticed with COVID nineteen. You know, I know we have yeah. the physical distancing, but I I think social, the the social aspect has actually brought a lot of people together. You know, with technology that's available. So I you yeah. know I'm. I don't like to say social distancing because, you know, I'm talking to my brothers more often, you know, I'm talking to my mom more often, you know. Yeah, and yeah I know, it's interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I find it rather, and, and they're, they're a thousand miles away from me, you know, but yet yeah. I've, I'm, I'm, I feel closer to them now than I, I did before. Mm-hmm. And I think we, your point come- is something that we can do. I mean, that's another way that the current moment really challenges us because it makes us understandably feel helpless, immobilized, right? So much we can't change. You can't, there's an invisible virus, right? There's an enemy that's breached the gate that's inside our village, the country, the world as a whole. It's here. What are we going to do about it? And there's a lot of limitation in what we can do about it. Plus, it's very strange because whatever we do today uh, won't really show up. Uh, particularly in terms of uh, public health results for another couple weeks. So it's all delayed. You know, it's very weird to deal with. That's yeah. why it's so important, kind of like you said, focus on what we can do. Focus on mm-hmm. where we do have agents, a sense of efficacy, because humans are, like dogs, are very vulnerable to acquiring what's called learned helplessness. It's really easy to make people feel defeated, Essentially, futility, why bother, entrapment, despair. 
that's a slippery slope and a really dangerous one to just even begin to start sliding down. That's why I think it's so important um, to keep focusing, especially when there's a lot that's out of your control, on the little silly things that you do have control over. Do you want another cup of coffee, right? Do you say those mm-hmm. words to your partner or not? Um, do you help yourself keep listening without interrupting? Do you look out the window? Do you plant a flower because at least you can do something? Do you scratch your cat? Um, at least there's something you can do inside your own mind. Do you shift how you look at Do you take action inside your own mind, not just out there in the world? And as we take action in that way, as we feel that sense of agency, I think it's really important to slow down and take in the good, right? Help that experience mm-hmm. really sink in so that you build up the Great sense that you are more like a hammer and you know less like a nail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with uh, New York Times best-selling author Dr. Rick Hansen and his book Resilient. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dr. Rick Hansen, author of Resilient. Um, great first segment there, Rick. I really enjoyed our conversation. And as I said during a break, not one thing was on our agenda. And I really enjoyed mm. that. So thank you very much. AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> I've been AWOL Let, here. <laughs> <laughs> let's jump into your book. Um, one of the things that you do talk about is uh, all humans have three basic needs. Can you kind of tell us what those are and give us some examples? You Because know, I think right, some of this information will help some of the people out there that may be sitting at home, you know, through this mm-hmm. COVID-19 and maybe need some of this information. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, so we are resilient 
uh, in the service of meeting our needs. In other words, resilience is a means to an end. Well, what's the end? The end is the meeting of our needs um, and or helping others meet their needs, in part through coping with the world around us and also managing ourselves from the inside out. So if we're trying to identify the particular psychological resources, the particular inner strengths that will be most useful for a challenge, you know, we have that modeled again, challenges, vulnerabilities, and resources, we want to match the resources for the challenges or the vulnerabilities. So thinking in terms of our needs gives us a way into that. So what are our fundamental needs? You know, people have taken a swing at that in different ways. A recurring model that you find again and again in biology and psychology is this notion that um, all animals, including humans, uh, have three fundamental needs, broadly defined uh, in umbrella terms as safety, satisfaction, and connection. Right? Uh, we need to be safe. Don't be eaten today. Eat lunch today. Don't eat lunch today. Uh, second, <laughs> satisfaction. That, that you know, get the lunch rather than being the lunch. You know, get your food. Accomplish your goals. Um, you know, find some sense of uh, uh, gratification in in your accomplishments um, in life. Satisfaction, and then connection. Uh, obviously, passing on the species, but also just friendliness camaraderie, common cause, teamwork with other people, cooperation, uh, and uh, secure attachment, things like that. So we have these three major needs, safe, satisfaction, and connection, and they are loosely related. The management of them is loosely related to the three-stage evolution of the human brain with its, like building a house from the bottom up, its reptilian brain stem, mammalian subcortex, that's like the second floor of the house of the brain, and then primate human neocortex sitting on top of all that is the third floor of the house of the brain. So three floors of the house of the brain. So the takeaway point here, especially these days, is that if someone, um, let's say, is just really worried, their need for safety is challenged, and resources that are matched to that or are explored a lot in that particular book, Resilient, but they include things that I've talked that I've spoken of already a little bit, building up a sense of calm inside yourself, tapping into a feeling of strength, also tapping into the sense of being supported by others, all of which are matched, well-matched to the need for safety, flagged by a feeling of, uh, let's say, anxiety these days. Or to maybe finish on a different example... If someone, uh, you know, let's say is having old feeling of uh, being left out or unseen by others coming up, maybe going back, as in my case, to your, to your childhood. Uh, well, if that's happening these days, um, the sense of calm strength isn't necessarily going to address that. But these days, the feelings that other people care about you would address the loneliness, or to some extent address, it's a helpful resource for the loneliness or sense of distance or abandonment even that can come up for people. And this points to the ways in which sometimes a single resource uh, is sort of like a, you know, a, a multivitamin, you know, or one, one, one rock, two birds, or something like that, so that feeling cared about by other people is actually a very primal way to meet all three needs. Because 
Obviously, it meets our need for connection, to feel that others are friendly and like you and respect you, even if the relationship's not perfect, but they do appreciate you. They do like you. Mm -hmm. It's real. It's true. Right? That helps us feel connected. It's also very satisfying to feel liked by other people. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. Right? Oh, it's rewarding. And then finally, uh, feeling cared about others is a very effective way to feel safer. Because as our ancestors, you know, lived and evolved, they did so mainly in small groups. Even until extremely recently, just, you know, maybe 100 years ago, most people lived um, in small settings. So villages, very small towns, tiny you know, little hamlets, little communities, uh, let alone a few thousand years ago, you know, in hunter-gatherer bands. So uh, in that context, being exiled would often be a death sentence. So the feeling of being included, part of the group, part of the tribe, part of the band, um, is, a, is very calming. It helps us feel safer and less anxious as a result. So in that sense, love is like the ultimate medicine. It's the universal medicine. Uh, whether it's flowing in or flowing out, it meets our three needs. You mentioned a couple of things there, and I, I just wanted to touch on on one one point. Does that mean that, you know, out of the safety, satisfaction, connection, they're all interrelated? Is it possible to, you know, be well-connected but yet not be satisfied or feel safe? Correct. Yeah, exactly right. That's very astute. And I know I just laid up kind of big mouthful on people. The key takeaway that's practical <laughs> is to ask yourself, what, if it were more present in your own mind, would really help these kids? And once you identify that, if it, maybe it's a greater sense of calm. Maybe it's a greater sense of compassion for yourself. Just in everything you're dealing with. Maybe it's the feeling that no matter what happens, um, people love you. Whatever it might be. What do you feel, whoever you are, right? What do you mm-hmm. feel would really help if it were more present in your mind? And then you can zero in on developing. And like you said, um, it's definitely true that we can... Um, in effect, have one red light flashing on the inner dashboard of a particular need that's not being met um, while our other two are are fine. For example, um, these days, uh, I think that um, our fundamental need for safety, well, I'll I'll say it like this. I'll give you a funny example. I don't know if you have kids, if I can ask you that. We have two adult kids. No, uh, unless you okay. count four-legged ones. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll, gi- I'll give you an Okay, that's great. Suppose that you wake up for some reason at two in the morning and your four-legged friend, a dog, cat, or both, or either. Oh, dog. Dog. Dog, okay. <laughs> and somehow, and you see that the front door is open. Okay, somehow. And your dog is gone. You go outside, you call, your dog doesn't come. You're really worried for your dog. And then let's suppose that the phone rings and it's someone, maybe it's from Voice of America, right? And they say, guess what? You have received a big honor. You know, you're going to send you a bonus check or you're going to have this new real neat opportunity. And okay, great. And then you hang up the phone. Does that make you feel any less worried about your dog? No, no. Uh, it meets your need for satisfaction. Oh, great. I'm going to get an honor. Oh, great. Maybe I'll make more money. Okay, fine. That meets our needs for satisfaction. But it doesn't address 
the need for safety, and in this current case, sort of vicarious safety, concern about your dog, right? It's only when you see your dog or uh, you have people who are helping you uh, to find your dog, let's say, that that challenge is um, addressed with uh, experiences that are actually matched to it. So that's an illustration of this broader point. And in the book, I have all these kind of like easy-to-understand lists of which particular resources, psychological resources, are well-matched to particular situations and needs. And I think one of the things that's a problem, I say this as a longtime therapist, and I, I think this also applies to coaching and, in fact, parenting, is that um, one size does not fit all. And we often don't really end up feeling better or we don't end up coping more effectively because we haven't developed a psychological resource that's actually matched to that particular issue. It's sort of like um, if we have a screw, we need a screwdriver. We could mm-hmm. pound on it all day long with a hammer, but that wouldn't work. We need the tool, the resource that's matched to the particular need. And then, okay, then we could be successful. Staying on that topic with needs, uh, I call them the four R's. Um, mm. you, you talk about um, some ways people can meet these needs. Um, yeah. Recognizing resources, regulating, relating. Yeah. You know, I, I know you've touched on resources before, but can you explain um, the, the other three, what you meant by those? Oh, sure. Uh, it's great. And you're definitely an astute reader of my book. So I was looking for a framework. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to create a framework for identifying the how to become resilient, right? And or more broadly, really, how to develop an unshakable core of resilient well-being inside ourselves. How do we actually do that? And um, that then goes to what are the psychological resources inside that we can draw upon to deal with our challenges and deal with our vulnerabilities. While still, while still maintaining a basic well-being in our own core. What are those psychological strengths? So what I did is I took these three fundamental needs, safety, satisfaction, and connection, which are managed by, in order, avoiding harm, approaching rewards, and attaching to others. Okay. So far, so good. Loosely related to the inner lizard, inner mouse, and inner monkey in terms of the reptilian, mammalian, and primate human stages of brain evolution. All right. In that structure, then, um, how do we figure out which needs are most useful for, uh, pardon me, which resources are most useful for the particular needs? Well, that then takes us into, I think, four ways, really, of dealing with life broadly, you know, just in general. One mm-hmm. is that we need to recognize what's true. We need to see what's true, what's up, including related to each one of our three needs. Second, as you point out, we need to resource ourselves. We need to you know, mobilize uh, strengths inside and bring them to bear to deal with the you know, conditions of our life. Third, we need to regulate ourselves. This is classic in psychology, definitely classic in biology. If, we're, if a system is dysregulated, uh, whether it's an organization or a community, a family system, or a, a body, or a car, you know, if the car loses regulation, it can't function very well anymore. So we regulate. That's third. And then last, we relate. We are outward-looking. We are forward-leaning as beings, organisms. Uh, 
simpler organisms, plants, protozoa, and dogs and cats certainly also need to relate to their to the world around them. So, long story short, if you apply these four ways of managing well-being, four ways of sort of operating in life, to each of the three needs, four times three is twelve, and then that gives you an intro, a neat model or framework for identifying twelve strengths. And so I'll go through the 12 real fast right now. Uh, and the way I structure them in the book and, and in my related online program, The Foundations of Well-Being, uh, which people can check out. And we have scholarships for people in financial need and it's inexpensive and very well organized. The Foundations of Well-Being program at my website, rickhanson.net. Anyway, um, in order, so the first of four um, Groups. This is a program people could do over the course of a year if they want. So I think of it in four quarters a month each, so 12 months total. So the first quarter is about recognizing and then in order in terms of the three needs, safety, satisfaction, connection, we have um, compassion for yourself because that's where we have to start. When we recognize our own difficulty and challenges, we boom, bring to bear some compassion for ourselves. And then second, um, mindfulness. We need to develop mindfulness. We need to be aware of the outer world around us to recognize it and also inside ourselves. And third, learning. Learning is the strength of strengths. It's the one we use to grow the rest of them. It's the superpower of superpowers, right? Because if you (laughs) know how to learn to be calmer, happier, wiser, and stronger, well, then you can help yourself acquire those capabilities, those qualities. Every day. So those are the first three, compassion, mindfulness, and learning. The next three are, um, where am I here? The next three are uh, a sense of grit and then um, the sense of gratitude and then uh, the sense of, um, of confidence, of, of your own innate worth. Okay? Then comes calm, motivation, and intimacy. And then the last three are... Um, and I've used different names for them, but basically I think of the last three as courage, aspiration, and generosity. So those are strengths. You can think about those as strengths and ask yourself, what, which of those um, are you really already great at? Okay. And which of them these days would be really good to develop? Yeah, considering we're we're in the pandemic, you know. But mm-hmm. actually, that brings up a oh, I looks like we've come to the end of our second segment. I'm going to ask the question sure. in our third segment. Um, okay, great. We are today. We are talking with Dr. Rick Hansen, New York Times best-selling author of Resilient. We will be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Join five-time world and international boxing champion, mental health advocate, writer, and speaker, Mia St. John, for In the Ring with Mia. After losing her ex-husband and son to mental illness, Mia has set out to empower those who deal with mental illness, homelessness, poverty, and addiction. Tune in and join Mia in the ring. And together, you'll find the help and motivation that you need. Listen live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dr. Rick Hansen and his book, Resilient. Uh, Rick, in the last segment, uh, you gave some great uh, strengths and you talked about safety. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, with the current environment, with pandemic, uh, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, mm-hmm. we're all in this together. But there are some people out there that maybe even listening right now that don't feel like they're in it with other people. How can they start to try and make a small difference to turn things around for them? I know during the break I gave an example uh, to you where I know a couple of people, you know, and one is trying to teach three children while offering, oh, you know, Sam, you know, uh, support to, you know, coworkers and colleagues and things like that. And it's really tough. So do you have any advice on how they can, you know, try and turn their, th- turn themselves and their feelings uh, around? Mm, totally. There are three things that come from research really on resilience and coping that stand out again and again and again. So I'll just kind of name them and, um, briefly here. First, find your footing. Get a sense of what the facts are. What's happening? What's the situation? Where is it going? How is it likely to end? Um, you know, yes, we don't have perfect knowledge, but it's a little bit, I think, these days for a lot of people, and this goes back to my experience rock climbing and being in the mountain, where you feel like you're on um, a knife blade or ret. You know, you're walking on a thin ridge that's maybe a foot or two wide, and you can't tell whether the drop on the and, and you're in a fog bank or a whiteout, and you can't tell whether the drop on either side of you is you know two feet or two thousand feet. So naturally, you have to slow down and see where you are. You have to find your footing. It's calming to do that. What's our mm-hmm. situation? You know, what are the facts? Uh, I think turning to expertise is really important. Really respecting science. Really respecting people who are genuine public health experts getting a sense of what their take is, what's the safest course, what's reasonable, right? Even um, as clarity is still emerging, there's a lot that's already really pretty clear. So find your footing. Second, calm and center. You know, I remember reading this book. uh, I get interested in sort of disaster stories, how people get through it. And I remember reading a book with a very pointed title, Who Lives, Who Dies. Right, they they went into all these case histories of people swept away down a river, their plane crashed, their car broke down in the desert. Uh, they were in a hostage situation. They were taken hostage by bad people in some way, etc. Who gets through it? And it's not perfect, but your odds 
go up immensely if you calm and center. Calm the body, mm-hmm. calm the mind, you know, disengage from ruminations that just go round and round and round. The root of that word, you know, is from uh, cows chewing their cud. Quit chewing your cud in anxiety about stuff you can't affect or, um, you know, resentments about other people that you're, there's a saying, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for other people to die, you know? It's not good mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, and also, as we said earlier, tune into the feeling of strength inside yourself. Do do activities like you taught, you've talked about, uh, taking action of various kinds, um, doing puzzles, interacting with your dog, you know, calm and center. Wow. Yeah. And, and I think really... I'm a, I'm a long-time meditator, long-time meditation teacher. I'm a touchy-feely therapist. All right, fine. At the end of the day, there is no replacement for boxy. <laughs> for that fundamental sense of, I am going to get through this. I, I joke, yeah. I believe in the cockroach theory of life. Keep crawling. You know, <laughs> keep <laughs> crawling. So, you know, calm and center, calm and center. And then third, classic advice, um, Tend and befriend. This is a term from the research of a professor at UCLA, Shelley Taylor, who studied how women handle stress um, and found that not just through fighting and fleeing, but that but through tending and befriending of others. And then that research has been broadened way beyond just women, because obviously men, and to the extent that these gender categories are meaningful, men also tend to befriend. Women also can fight and flee. But this general approach, this general point, that when we're stressed, it's personally calming. It's personally protective and refueling to take good care of other people, not to the point of exhaustion, but to but to bring caring to them and also friendship and friendliness. You know, even if they're not your best pal, we're still connecting with other people. And when we move into tend and befriend mode and feel it, slow down, open the heart, rest in the sense of it, Feel it. When we move into tend to be friend mode, in addition to the benefits for others, it's really good for us. It helps us feel better. It protects us. It mm-hmm. nurtures the immune system, protects our bodies, um, and, it's, and it helps us be more effective. It makes us stronger as we deal with our challenges. So those three. Um, find your footing, calm and center, and tend to be friend. So I hope uh, people out there were listening to that because I know, um, you know, my friend isn't the only one out there. So thank you for that. I really appreciate uh, that advice um, for them. I have another couple comments, too, about this time, if I could. Um, Two perspectives. Just, you know, these are my two cents, but a penny each, right? And see what they're worth uh, yourself. So first is... um, when we're being propped up by our situations and our settings and circumstances and interactions we have with other people, you know, the music is playing, the sun is shining, everything's fine. Uh, well, we don't really need to have much inside ourselves. But when the storm comes and we're in the middle of a big storm, we, you know, started seeing it in early January. The experts began really sounding the alarm. Now it is upon us in mid-May. We're going to be dealing with this, I'm sure, for many months to come and economic consequences for, you know, years to come. Okay, here we are. When that happens, what we're left with, what you're left with is what's inside you and Mm -hmm. what you can really count on in your key relationships. That's it. And for a lot of people, when they look there, whoa, 
the takeaway is, yikes, I've underinvested in my own inner strengths, my own psychological capabilities, self-knowledge, and of, of, you know, inner competence with my own thoughts and feelings. And the cupboard's kind of bare. I really need to use this time right now to, to cultivate traits inside myself, qualities inside myself, know-how even of various kinds. I'm going to use this time to do that. That's a really effective way in part to get through this time. Yes, there are losses, but what can we gain? Not to diminish or look at through rose-colored glasses, let's say, any of the losses, any of the challenges. But on the other hand, okay, the time sucks. I mean, if it really does, it does. Okay, meanwhile, what can I grow a little bit inside myself each day, no matter what? That's, for me, a really useful perspective. Um, the other thing I would just say is to take the long view. We will get through this, right? Some people won't. Mm-hmm. In America already, as you probably know, um, just to speak of my country, not to leave out other countries in the world, but just to name my country because it's the one I know about, um, already this virus has killed well over 90,000 Americans. That's the conservative estimate, and the number is probably much greater when you include people that did not receive a diagnosis of COVID-19, but in fact were killed by it. And also when you add people who are not killed by COVID-19, but because uh, this epidemic, because of mismanagement, has overwhelmed our public health system, um, they were unable to get proper care for other medical issues. So, you know, most likely we're well north of 100,000 people killed by this directly or indirectly over just the last several months. That's a lot of people. So mm-hmm. it's true. Right now, it's, it's horrible. It's really difficult. Okay. And there will be a time a year from now, certainly two years from now, when people are standing after the storm has largely, if not entirely, passed, looking at some of the wreckage, picking themselves out of the rubble, and also going forward, teaching their children, starting businesses, enjoying times with friends, living their lives. We can take that longer view. I think it's it's calming and centering to take that longer perspective and to ask ourselves, when we look back on this time from tomorrow or a year from tomorrow, what do we want to see, especially in terms of our own conduct? Have we conducted ourselves in a way that, while it might be a little ragged, understandably, on the whole, we're proud of how we've acted. We, we feel that, yeah, I showed up. I wasn't a total jerk to the people (laughs) I live and work with or sleep with, right? Uh, I showed up. I did the best I could. I kept my head high. I mean, I kept going. I brought character to it. I brought virtue to it. I was self-reliant. I learned from people like you, Alex. You know, I I did the best I could every day. And to me, we have the opportunity a year from now, let's say, to look back on, on ourselves and to feel good about how we've acted, even amidst all that's so challenging right now. That actually brings up a, an interesting question. Does that mean that yeah. well-being or be, being resilient, it's not a quick fix? Huh. I think that's very clever what you're getting at because we tend to reach, <laughs> I mean, uh, like I live in the fast food country, fast food nation, right, America, and, um, you know, we do tend to want that quick fix. And hmm. as long as we can get access to that quick fix, are you doing okay? It's like a junkie. You know, they, nobody dies of, um, how can I put it, 
heroin itself, taken in, this will probably get me into trouble. What am I trying to say? My point here is that as long as we can get the fix we crave, we're doing okay, right? We get propped up by it. But when we don't have access to the the fill-in-the-blank, the activities, the going out to eat, the conveniences, uh, the contact with other people, a sense of meaning we found in our work, let's say, whatever it might be, when we don't have access to what has sort of propped us up in the past, well, then uh, what's revealed is that we've invested too much, maybe, in quick fixes. So I I agree with you. I think that uh, long-term well-being is what really matters. And for me, just kind of speaking personally, when I was uh, in my teens, I was really pretty miserable. And one of the huge sort of light bulb moments for me when I was a teenager was to realize, wow, no matter how bad the past had been, or even the, there was always a little something I could do every day. I could always Mm -hmm. learn a little every day. I could grow a little every day. Wow, that was so hopeful. So that's what, Um, I think is our opportunity right now to ask ourselves, okay, today is what it is. What do I want to develop inside myself a little bit more today? How do I want to become a little more emotionally intelligent, a little more resilient, a little more able to uh, manage the unexpected when it lands on my doorstep, right? Whether I like it or not. And believe it or not, we have about two minutes left. Do you have any... uh, Last, a last closing comment for a minute. You know, a, last, a couple of closing yeah. words. Well, to um, quote the, uh, a saying from the work of someone from your country, I think Canada, uh, the Canadian psychologist Donald Hebb, neurons that fire together wire together. This is the classic saying, and the takeaway point is that our practices, the efforts we make every day, where we really rest our attention and kind of marinate in key experiences, that keeps neurons firing together so that if you're resting in the sense of calm strength or connection with other people, you keep those neurons firing together, you will gradually hardwire calm strength or feeling of worth, feeling seen by other people into the very fabric of your being. And you can trust that process and build on it every day. Well, on that, I, you know, Dr. Hansen, you know, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed oh, it's been our a chat. pleasure, Alex. I really wish you well and your important work, too. Oh, thank you. Um, congratulations on the new book, and congratulations on the book we actually talked about, Resilient. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Um, and to everyone listening out there, uh, thank you uh, for tuning in and listening. Um, of course, if there's any topics you want us to talk about, please feel free to send me an email or advertising. Same thing. And uh, you can check out the conferences. I mentioned them at the beginning. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll still happen. And uh, in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.